0: Thank you. That was so nice of Pastor Jeff. I love Harvest Bible Church, by the way. Harvest Bible Chapel Church. Uh, it's, uh, it's awesome. Pastor Jeff is so humble and has a servant's heart. He just uh, It's been so fun interacting with him, uh, with Will Johnson um, over these past couple of years. They've come and served with us on campus. And he's just always encouraging me and just saying, How can we help? How can we serve? And uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I love, love this church. It's great. Uh, we have a few students here, down here, Ian and Emma. They're awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to speak here. I can't believe Pastor Jeff asked me to come and talk with you guys. So I count this a privilege to share God's word with you and, uh, and uh, worship our Lord and Savior this morning. And that worship was awesome, by the way. I was, I'm ready to go, man. You know, let's uh, sing those songs with you guys. So uh, I'd like to introduce my family. Um, i got a picture here. This is my beautiful wife, Krista, and our four kids. Karina, Kira, Braden, and Kyla. They are quite a, we call it blessed chaos, right? It is a blessing, but they are young. They're eight. Karina's eight, Kira's seven, Braden's five. Kyla's three. and it is, it is awesome. And so but Braden, we have one son, and he he covers a multitude of sons. I mean, he is all all boy, man. I mean, he's from licking the ground at, at zoos by the kangaroo section. Uh, bathing in toilets, we found him in, in, immersed in the toilet, just going going crazy in there, uh, cutting off his finger as, almost cut, almost cutting off his finger, although that was my, that was my fault I got that was a parenting fail that 's a long story but uh, um, and uh, yes, he actually slammed his head into our uh, our window uh, a couple months ago. I cracked the whole window and it just, it just keeps going it 's fun it 's great and uh, And Chris and I we actually met in in Venezuela. we were serving with crew. In Venezuela, uh, I was down there almost six years. And so we met in um, 2004, the first time we met. And uh, we actually had four, five, six, well, a bunch of people that were praying for us before we met each other, before we knew each other. They were praying. They, they said that, that we were going to get married. They, they knew it even before we had met each other, friends of ours that knew each, other, each of us separately. And uh, so when we uh, first met, we both knew that. We caught wind of that. And so we were like, there's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna like this girl. You know, I, I, that's what I was saying, and she was saying the same thing. But I have to confess, I fell first, man. I uh, I, I liked her first, and uh, it was and they were right. <laughs> Obviously, they were right. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, lots, lots of merengue, dancing merengue and salsa, and here we are, married, and back in Fairfax. It's wonderful. But uh, today we're gonna jump into Jonah one. But first, I wanna share a quick story. Um, have you guys ever had those moments where you? you realize that you're just an extremely unloving person. I don't know if you have, I, I've had those moments where you, you hear a story or you're in a situation and you're like, man, like I'm just, I'm just not, not very loving. I'm not as loving as I thought I was. I'm not as great as a person as I thought I was. Uh, a few years ago, I heard a friend of mine, Shelby, uh, tell a story about a friend of his. And in the story, Shelby had just experienced a broken relationship. A, a, a girl broke up with him, and it was, it was just terrible. It was a terrible, terrible time for him. And so he's telling this to his friend Will. No, not Will, Mike. His friend Mike, who lives miles away. Shelby's in Virginia. Mike's in Wisconsin. And Mike is helping him out and counseling him on the phone. And then Mike said, hey, that, let me call you back. And then Mike calls back a few minutes later, calls Shelby, and says, hey, I just bought a plane ticket to Virginia. I'm coming down to spend the weekend with you. And what's crazy about this is that Mike was studying for his MCATs. He was extremely busy. And in, in, a, in a minute, he was just like, hey, um, I bought a plane ticket. I'm coming down. And they just spent the weekend hanging out, watching movies, just doing whatever Shelby wanted to do, to forget about the breakup and just hang out and have a good time. And I'm listening to that story. I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's incredible. Man, Mike's a, that's a great, great guy. And so I was blessed to hear that. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I was like, I don't know if I would do that. It hit me. I don't know if I would love uh, Shelby or would love a friend that was in that similar situation the same way Mike did. And so it really got me thinking. That got me to evaluate my heart and to think like, do I love my friends as well as I could? Am I sacrificial? Uh, do I love? You know, how is, do I love without when it's inconvenient? Or am I loyal in my love? Do I love when there's not a reward? But there's also passages in Scripture that also expose the poverty of our love, right? And, and they show the richness of God's love and compassion at the same time. And Jonah 1 is one of those clear, clear passages. And Jonah is one of those stories that, I don't know if for you guys, if you grew up in the church, but it's kind of easy to pass over as this kind of cute children's story of being swallowed by a whale and then spit up, you know, later on. And it's kind of cute, but it's a, it's, a, it's a significant story. It's fascinating lessons about the human heart, about the greatness of God's love. Uh, and Jonah, it's one of the Prophet, prophetic writings right it's one of the minor prophets now it's not minor in significance but minor in size they're just called major and minor prophets because of the size of the book some are longer and some are shorter major minor but uh what's fascinating about jonah is that we never hear any declarations from jonah all the other prophets you hear there what they're speaking about god's god's truth and his love so we're just doing jonah chapter one five observations and then three truths about god that's it five observations three truths about god so let me pray, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you uh, for this time. Thank you for Harvest Bible Chapel, Lord. I praise praise you for this church and your grace poured out here, uh, and just what a blessing it is to worship you with believers, Lord, and with others that that call you Lord and Savior. You are great and compassionate, God. Help us, Lord. Help help us to see you, to see your compassion towards us and towards others this morning. Amen. All right, I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1, all right, the whole chapter, and then we'll jump in. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down the Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. observation, right? is given a simple command, right? It's only, we only, he only gets this one command that we see that God gives him. It's singled out, to be God's ambassador and cry out against Nineveh for their wickedness. And, but this command, he obviously has a huge problem with. So why does he have a huge problem with this simple command? And to understand that, it's important to understand Nineveh and what that city was like. It was, the, it was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was like the superpower in the world back in the ninth century in that time period. And they oppressed many other nations like Lebanon, Philistia, uh, and Israel. Israel was part of that. And uh, Israel, actually was the first time in Israel's history at that time that they had to pay tribute to an alien power, to Assyria. And so you can imagine, you're usually not very fond of people who are oppressing you, right? It's a horrific, horrific thing to be oppressed. Uh, but not only were they in that situation, and Assyria was their enemy, but they were a ruthless enemy. Like They stretched, they stretched the definitions of evil uh, in the world. In fact, some people say that the Assyrian people may, may have been the most evil in all the history of the world. I have a quote. I don't have it on the screen, but I have a quote here from a military leader uh, from Assyria at that time. He says, I destroyed, I demolished, I burned. I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities, flayed the nobles, as many as had rebelled and spread their skins out on piles of dead corpses. Many of the captives I burned, burned in a fire. Many I took alive. From some I cut off their hands to the, to, to the right. From others I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. That's, that's, that's pleasant. <laughs> but it, it's brutal. They were brutal people. In fact, they were masterminds of psychological warfare. They would, they would impale their enemies and stake them to the ground five feet apart, and a three, like, like in a mile, stre- miles of, uh, around the city of the people that they just conquered. They would just put people, dead people on stakes as a way to just show their, show their power and to horrify people. So you can imagine this is not a people that Jonah would be just like, yeah, I'll go and go minister to them, go and love them. Uh, these people were horrific and they're horrific toward the Israelites. He may have seen these bodies, impaled bodies of people he knew. Um, and there's so sort of strong emotion welling up in Jonah as he hears this command from God. But still, even knowing that, the command is go and cry out against their wickedness. And so at first you think, well, why wouldn't he want to cry out against their wickedness? Maybe he's crying out judgment on them. And we'll find out what was going on in Jonah's heart in a minute. But you would think at first Jonah would enjoy that, would, would like to speak out against them about their wickedness. So a second observation, Jonah knows exactly what he needs to do, but He rebels. Right? He goes hundreds of miles um, the opposite direction instead of going, going to Nineveh. In fact, you see in the, in the passage, it says, God calls Jonah to arise and go, but instead he arose and went away. The, words, the, the wording there was, was purposeful. You also see that the word down three times in the passage, illustrating the in physical terms the spiritual nosedive that Jonah was taking. He went down to Joppa, down into the ship, down inside the ship in verse 5. You also see flee, or away from the Lord's presence, two times. And then Tarshish is repeated three times. And many of you may know Tarshish was literally the extreme opposite direction. It was the farthest, it was like the end of the earth in that time to, those, to the people living there. And in fact, you had to, uh, it took tons, of, a lot of money to get into a ship, to get a ride out to Tarshish. The, the boats that went out there were like today's ocean liners, and it would take almost a year to get to the city. So you had to put a ton of resources and a ton of time just to get all the way to Tarshish. So it's clear Jonah is just deliberately running, running, and spending money and time to flee God. This isn't just some like, hey, God, uh, I know I shouldn't take that grape you know, and eat that grape at Aldi without paying for it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I don't condone that. You shouldn't do that. But that's not quite what this is. This is like... He is, he is as deliberate as you can get, and the author goes to great lengths to, to illustrate that, that he is just hightailing it from God. Like, it's just extreme rebellion, extreme rebellion in Jonah's heart. And he is the prophet of God. He's God's man. He's God's prophet, and he's acting this way. Uh, and so he's not only is he hightailing it physically, but, it's, but spiritually as well. Third observation God doesn't let Jonah get away with his rebellion. You see the phrase in verse 4, but the Lord. And let me stop and say, those those three words are actually very hopeful words. But the Lord, right? I think they're extremely hopeful that even with Jonah's passionate rebellion, God pursues Jonah. And that's the theme we see in this chapter over and over again, God pursuing Jonah. Those words should really stick out. And I think they should give us some comfort as followers of Christ, but the Lord. God takes initiative again. Takes initiative towards Jonah, even when he's running away from him. That word "hurl" when it says he hurled a great storm, it's like vigorous exertion. Like he's he's going after Jonah. He is whipping up a nasty storm to go after him. And uh, and then of course the storm's nasty. A fish um, and the fish swallows him, and it's a terrible, terrible. Uh, obviously, it would be a terrible thing to be swallowed by a fish, right? I think for all of us, it'd be a bit terrible, terrible thing. But as we see here, it's, it's God's grace. It's God's mercy pursuing him. And a question we should ask in Jonah is, is God's pursuit of Jonah, is it judgment or is it mercy? Is it judgment or is it mercy or is it both? What's he doing here? And as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about a few years ago, uh, God was very gracious to reveal uh, a major sin in my life. I have I, I realized over the years, especially being in a ministry, what an insecure man I am! It's a—it's amazing, what uh, how God has has revealed that to me in terms of just being sensitive about uh, criticism of ministry, or just um, wondering what other people think of me when I did this or when I did that, or how am I doing? Am I doing well? How's my performance? Am I am I doing okay? Am I am I a good minister of the gospel? You know, am I successful? Or when I see other peers having success or doing cool things, I wish I could. God could have me do. I kind of cringe, or I feel threatened by that, or I feel I feel like I'm not significant in some way. And this has been, and this is just this is just me being real, being vulnerable. As I, I just like, this really hit me, a few, you know, over the years. Like, man, like, what's the deal? Why am I so uptight about these types of things? And God was, but God was gracious to reveal that. And I remember it hit me at one point a couple of years ago, where I prayed, I was like, God, destroy this idol in my life. I just told Him, destroy it, like, take away this people pleasing idol, this perform idol, just tear it down, burn it, do whatever you need to do, destroy it. And you know what? God answered that prayer, and he just made things worse. <laughs> I mean, there was like, literally that next month, like three major situations happened that just hit at the core of my like my weakness with that with that issue, where just people were upset with me about something, and then I disagreed with someone on something else. It was stuff that was just like, ugh, just really went after their area in my heart. But through that, God was so gracious because he he began to help me see this is a whole nother talk by the way I can do but he helped me see my identity in Christ and his love for me in such a deeper way and just to to be okay just being his son and being beloved by him. Like he, he brought me to a place where I got a deeper rooting in the gospel. And it's it it took and still, it still still is taking lots of hard trials and 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 difficulty in my life but it's a mercy. So he he's bringing discipline in my life but he's also Showing his love and mercy in my life and saving me from a lot of heartache and destruction if I go after the idol, as I, I, I can and hurt, hurt my family, my friends, and uh, hopefully preparing me to be a better vessel and produce better fruit for him. So being in Christ, if you are in Christ, a believer in Him, God wants to transform us, cleanse us from things that are displeasing to him, but he does it in the way he does it while being for us at the same time, while being for us. And that is so, so important to understand. Uh, fourth observation there's a huge contrast between Jonah and the sailors and this is one of the most I think is the, one of the coolest parts of this chapter Jonah he gets aboard the ship with sailors that don't worship God they don't worship the God of Israel they're, they're they're called pagans in this passage unbelievers and so Jonah's asleep during the storm and he's not praying he's not offering help to to save you know, the storm's going on and Jonah's asleep he's not doing anything to help out right the missionary of the one true God does nothing. He's just asleep, avoiding everything. But yet these unbelieving sailors, they're working hard and, and, and rowing and trying to save the ship. And they're, they're calling out. They're seeking supernatural help. They're calling out to their gods. And they're, and they're urging Jonah to pray. And they're, and they're using some of the same wording that God used to call Jonah to Nineveh to call Jonah to pray. They're saying, arise, get up, Jonah. <laughs> it's the same, same wording there. The irony is just unbelievable that God is speaking through men who don't worship him to get Jonah's attention. And the contrast gets thicker. Jonah says, when he says who he is, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the the one true God. But here, he's not not fearing God at all. He's completely disobeying God and, and not showing the fear of the Lord. Yet the sailors, it says, they were exceedingly afraid. They were the ones fearing God, the God they don't even worship. And later in verse 13, they showed great nobility and fear of the Lord by not wanting to harm Jonah even though they knew Jonah was the cause for the storm. And they prayed to God. (laughs) It's just, the contrast is unbelievable in this passage. Uh, This prophet of God and the unbelieving sailors, it's just astounding. So Jonah is running, and here's what's cool. Jonah is running from, he's running from preaching God's word to unbelievers, right, to Nineveh. He's running from that. And in his running, God sets up a situation to still preach to unbelievers and help them repent and believe in him. Isn't that crazy? In his running, God is still going after his people. Because in verse 16, then in the chapter, it says, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They turned from their gods and they, they began to worship Jonah's God, the God, the one true God. And so, one small lesson I'll just say right here is that God uses us in our sin, He uses sinful people to advance His kingdom. I think that's a really comforting truth. Don't believe the excuse that you're not ready right now to just jump in and serve God. Last observation, God intervenes again. And we see this again. He intervenes and intervenes and intervenes. God's love drives him to pursue Jonah. So the terrible storm didn't really get Jonah's attention, but God doesn't give up. And, of course, verse 17, the famous part of the whole story, God provides a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that we see that phrase again, but the Lord, right? But the Lord. So right when Jonah should have drowned, God providentially protected him. Jonah is still alive, and despite his selfishness, his hatred of God, his apathy, everything, he's, ex- he's still experiencing the guardian presence of the Lord, despite all that. It's caused me to think of just uh, uh, God's grace and how he pursues people. Uh, over the years, with our ministry on campus, we've seen, by God's grace, we've seen a good amount of people trust in Christ. And when I hear the, the story of some students and they share their testimony of how they came to Christ, right, I'm, I'm still shocked or surprised by how, what God uses to draw them to that place. I mean, we, uh, and, and it really shouldn't wear off, but, it, but the surprise, it just never wears off, how God draws people to himself and draws people into his presence, how his presence is pulling people in whether it's free t-shirts, a phone call, yelling across campus. We have people, a girl came to Christ because a guy yelled across campus and invited her to a, to a party we were having. And later on, she came to know Jesus at a, at a retreat we had. Uh, through text messages, fall retreats, socials, flyers, pickup soccer. All these things, every single one of these things are valuable. Everyone counts in service to the kingdom of God. We had a girl a month ago named Kayla. She, uh, she just received Christ. In her story, she said, she couldn't believe, because we, we give out free t-shirts in the beginning of the year to freshmen, and, and she said she couldn't believe that getting a free t-shirt was going to lead her to become a Christian and to completely change her eternity. <laughs> she said that. That was how she, she put it in her words. And you know what? There's a, there's a really cool uh, lesson there just here in the church that any, anything you do, any way you serve, the smallest little thing, setting up chairs or you know, whatever it is, bringing sound equipment, anything – is valuable. All those things penetrate eternity. They all serve to build the kingdom of God. So whatever you do in this church, whatever role you play, extremely, extremely valuable in building God's kingdom and having his compassion be known in this world. So now those are five uh, observations, five uh, ways to explore the passage. Now, just three simple truths we learn about God. First one is God's compassion is more lavish than you realize toward unexpected people. Now, we see that, I say that word unexpected people, because we see that in the sailors, right? People you would not expect. God poured his compassion on. God was drawing to himself. Because they seem like just accessories to this large story of Jonah being swallowed by a whale and going to Nineveh. They seem to just be like kind of side characters, but they're not. (laughs) Not at all. God deeply cares for these common pagan sailors. And in the most unlikely of circumstances of a prophet gone rogue, (laughs) right? God saves them. And so the sailors give us, I think they give us great hope in our lives. If You think of family members, friends that just seem so far off or far gone. Or, in a, or, or maybe they're in a situation where it seems like they'll just never be able to know God, to know Jesus. Have hope. God can do anything to get, the whole, get a hold of your family, of your friends. Anything. There's great, great hope in that truth. And how much more could God use you with unexpected people at your work and your neighborhood that you maybe you're not even aware of yet? How will God use you with them? And even you can ask yourselves: How is your awareness of people in your neighborhood or the people you pass by, or work with? I think one thing that hinders us. Well, I'll say this: God. Here's also an encouragement: God can use your best days and your worst days to draw people to Himself. Right? You don't have to be perfect and happy every day to like to be used by God. God can use your worst days to draw people to himself. But I think something that hinders us, especially in this area, Northern Virginia, from being aware of people and connecting with people around us is just, well, busyness, but also inconvenience. It's just inconvenient to pursue people and engage with people that we don't know or people that we just aren't, aren't connected with as well. And, um, and you know, just going, you know, whether people you see at a coffee shop every day or you walk by on the street or neighbors, um, it's hard to engage and spend time with those people. You know, we got we got to-do lists, we got things to go to. We gotta, you know, it just it just takes sacrifice. It takes effort to value people over our schedules and our free time. And I'll say free time. I I I'm guilty. I'm guilty man number one with this because uh, I'm on campus every day and I'm with people every day, right? With students in and out of appointments, talking with people all throughout the week. And so when I get the free time, it's weekend. I'm like. No thanks, you know, I'm going to chill with my family, go, go do whatever I want. And so it's a, it can be an idol in my life. I mean, obviously that's a good thing. We need to rest and, and enjoy and do, you know, do great fun things. But sometimes for me, it can be like an idol. Be like, okay, no one's going to take that time, you know, from me. So I've had to really let go, let, let go of that and learn to learn to trust that time to the Lord. I even asked the question, what do your Saturday, Saturday nights look like? Do you have a weekend evening free or available to interact even with non-Christians? I was challenged by a fellow crew staff member, a lady named Heather Holloman. She shared the story about how she started to make one night a week just completely free, right? But free to the point where she would just have nothing to do. Like literally, she would just sit on her couch and just kind of wait there. (laughs) And just see what God was going to do, see what kind of... You know that might be a little too a little too mystical for you, but but uh, she uh, she just wait there and just kind of and kind of have it available just to see what would happen. And she started telling these stories about neighbors would just show up at her door and like ask for help with something, or or she got an idea to go do this or that, and had started having these incredible uh, conversations and building relationships with her neighbors. And that idea actually, when I heard that, this is a few years ago. It really convicted me and my wife Krista, and we really because we've been in, had been in a neighborhood for a while but hadn't really pursued our neighbors. so from that we just started just getting together and praying for our neighbors more and and just pursuing them more and God's really blessed that, I think I mean I, we went from nothing and just a um there's a few there's a few families near us that we started just spending a lot of time with, and we've had now. Uh, many spiritual conversations. In fact, this weekend, this coming weekend, we're running a 200-mile Ragnar Relay race with uh, with our neighbors. We're doing it with our neighbors. And if I thought like four years ago we'd be doing that, I'd be like, that's crazy because we we didn't know anybody. I had no non-Christian friends, and now we're running with our neighbors. And we pray, well, pray that I don't die running this race. But uh, but we hope that it just we'll, we'll be stuck in a van for two days with these with our neighbors. And so. We're really hoping to have expectations of just deep conversations, getting deeper with them, and, and even having more spiritual conversations, too. But also, let me say this. Maybe you're like one of the sailors. You might be in here, and you don't call yourself a Christian. Who are the Jonas in your life? If you're not a Christian today, there might be someone in your life that God is using to get your attention. And maybe God right now is using extraordinary means to get your attention. How did you get here today? How, how, why are you here at church? And I think that's—I think God is working in your life right now. If you would call yourself—you're you're not call yourself a Christian yet—so don't miss how God may be getting your attention right now. So, second uh, truth about God: God's compassion is more lavish than you realize toward your worst enemy. So, the Ninevites—they're terrible. They're terrible, terrible people. And we can think of people in our world, right, that we would we would maybe compare with them. Whether it's like. Sex trafficking, people are doing that, suicide bombers, people gunning down children at schools. There's horrific, horrific things. And these things should cause anger and disgust. And so obviously we need to trust the Lord and, and realize how do we you know, think about those, those type of people. But I think this hits more, I think this is harder when it hits closer to home with people that maybe have hurt us in the past or people that just simply annoy us, right? I think sometimes we have the harder trouble loving people or showing compassion or thinking God has compassion on people that are just annoying, people we just don't like or don't want to be around. So spoiler alert for Jonah, why did Jonah really flee? Why wouldn't he go and cry out against Nineveh, right? Well, Jonah 4.2 says, and he, about Jonah, he says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So in the story, God had mercy on Nineveh, and the whole city repents and comes to him. It's amazing. It's crazy to think about. The, you know, the king repents, and he calls the whole country to repent, and they all come to know, to know the Lord, it seems. But then we hear and Jonah is upset we find out the reason he didn't want to go because he knew God was so compassionate and merciful. That's why he didn't want to go, which, which blows my mind. You're thinking, like, why? like Jonah, what's, what's your deal? That's amazing that God's compassionate and merciful, <laughs> abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He knew the greatness of God's compassion, but he couldn't stand the thought of the Ninevites being forgiven by God. He couldn't stand that thought. God's prophet hated the fact that God wanted to use him to extend his compassion to the most terrible people on earth. And though it may be hard for us, to, you know, maybe we're not like, man, Jonah, you're, you're terrible, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not like that. But I think in some ways we can. We can be like that, right? We can be like that a little bit with the uh, us versus them mentality, you know? I'm like this. I'm not, I'm not like that. Praise God I'm not like that person. We're like, oh, those people, ugh, those, are, those are terrible, you know? Like we had that kind of, it's very subtle, very subtle mentality that can kind of leak into our, into our hearts. Maybe there's some people that you just generally avoid just don't like to be around. The people you'd be happy if you never saw or interacted with again. Think about those people. Think about those people in your life. We all have them. And we need to simply just confess it to God and say, God, change us. God, help. Help me love this person. Give me your love for them. Because you know what? That, that, that Part of that belief that we have, that we all struggle with, that I struggle with, is that we don't think we're as bad as we really are. You know, we, we forget how great God's compassion and mercy was towards us. God had way less in common with us when he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins than we do with any other person on earth. He had way less in common, and he gave up his son for us. You know, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so so it may be even good to take time to behold God's compassion in the story of Jonah. Um, So lastly, last truth, and I'll end with this. God's compassion is more lavish than you realize toward us, towards you. Jonah Jonah's no hero, right? And we aren't heroes either. And so as we hear of Jonah's rebellion and the spiritual nosedive, you might think, well, you might think, I've, I've done that. I, I might, I'm doing that right now. And we should connect with Jonah because our sin is worse than we realize. Our sin in our life is, is really as, just as bad as the rebellion we see in Jonah. It's important to get that. And I think God wants us to get that with Jonah, to relate with his sinfulness, right? There's an opportunity for God to probe our hearts, right, and ask questions like, where are we trying to escape the lordship of God in our lives? Is there a clear command of God that we're just avoiding or we're making excuses, right, to not not follow or do? Um, And running from God's not always dramatic, right? Some people, we might know people are like, oh, yeah, that guy's doing a, a, he's in a Jonah-type situation right now, right? But it's not always that, that dramatic. We run from God in little ways. Maybe God's nudging on your heart to forgive someone, and you're just kind of like, eh, just kind of pushing it off. Or maybe it's, it's, a, it's easy for you to not, not to commit to a regular time with God or, or come to church or get involved in a Bible study, you'd be kind of feeling the nudge but just kind of pushing it off. Those are all ways that we kind of we, we rebel against God. But here's the great truth that I want us to get this morning. The most amazing truth is that no matter how hard Jonah tried to physically distance himself from God, God was always with him. Never once was Jonah alone. He he did everything physically, humanly possible to get away from God, but he was never alone. God never left him. And if you are in Christ, I want you to know God never leaves you. Never, ever, ever will he ever leave you or forsake you. And he doesn't punish you either. Like, all the punishment's been poured out on his own son. It's been done. The punishment's been paid. So when God does go after us, it's a discipline. It's in love, like I talked about earlier. God disciplines the one he loves. That's grace. That's wonderful. Wonderful news. But if you're walking through a trial in your life right now, it could be God's using that trial to grab your attention, too. God may be using that to get a hold of you and to cleanse you from an idol. Maybe there's an idol in your life that you don't see yet. Or maybe you do see, and and you're like, man, maybe that's what God's doing. And that gives great comfort. I mean, there's some trials that are horrific that I can't imagine. But it's helpful to see trials in a way of saying, oh, wow, God, I think you're doing that in my life. That's good. Um, and it helps to endure, at least helps to endure in, the, in that trial. Because it's love. It's grace. And you, know, you can ask, what is the whale in your life? <laughs> what's the whale? By, and by the way, I don't even know if it was a whale. I think it might have been just a big fish or something else. But anyway, that doesn't matter. But what's the whale in your life, right? You see the whale, and it's terrifying at the moment, but it's, it's also merciful. It's absolutely unpleasant and hard, but then, and with Jonah, unpleasant, hard, uh, but it brought forgiveness and salvation to Nineveh, and it rescued Jonah to do his will, and hopefully for Jonah to turn to him. At the end of the book, we actually don't even, don't even know if Jonah, what, what Jonah does. We don't know how he responds, and I think that's because he wants us, he wants to be put on us. How are we going to respond to God's compassion? So let me let me end with this one one last thought. Uh, this the story of Jonah brings deep comfort to my life. You know, as I mentioned, this is a prophet of God blatantly disobeying God, acting in a way that's contrary to his character, not even liking his character. I mean, like you see Jonah, he's just this is just bad, really bad. But yet God still pursues him across the ends of the earth, and that's a great comfort to us. I think it's great to meditate on. Like no matter what you've done, or if you're messing up right now, whatever's going on in your life. Maybe uh, you have no desire for God at all. You've been avoiding him, and you feel terrible about it. Um, or maybe you're struggling with faith. Maybe your mind is just is just struggling with just truths about God, and you feel like you're losing your faith in some way. There could be, just, or you're going through depression, anxiety. There could be some hard struggles where it just feels like God is just, just, uh, saying, get your act together, or God just seems so far away, just, God seems sick of you. There is such comfort with Jonah. Because what Jonah tells us is, don't give up. God is with you. God is with you. God is pursuing you. God is compassionately pursuing you. His faithfulness will not let you go. He has his loving grip on your life. And so seeing that here causes us to run to him, just simply come to him. Come to him in just total honesty. King Josaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. Just helplessness. Just come to God in helplessness and say, Lord, help. Help me in this area of my life. Help me with this area of faith. Just help. That's faith. Just to come with brokenness, helplessness. Just come to him. Because God is with you. God, has not, God does not give up on you. In Christ, he holds you. And he will continue to pursue you. He is for you. That is great, great news. He was for Jonah. He's for the, he he showed shows compassion on Jonah, on the Ninevites, on the sailors. It's just this abundant compassion. That same compassion is for you as well. And as we understand that compassion, I think we will have more compassion on other people. Let me pray. Thank you, God, so much for your grace thank you for giving us your son uh lord you're uh you're you're real lord you're a relationship with you to be loved by you forever and ever and ever to be safe and secure um that is just wonderful wonderful news lord thank you that you forgave our sin to your son jesus thank you that you are with us in anything that happens there's nothing lord that can separate us nothing lord that uh, uh, can take us away from you. Lord, your, uh, your pursuit of people is unbelievable. Lord, help us to see that, Lord. I pray that there's just something in this passage that just lingers in our hearts, that we would worship you more and uh, become more like you, God, in your compassion towards others. Yeah, may your, your compassion be flow through us to this, to this world, to Fairfax, uh, in such a powerful way that people just have to come to you. They have to bow their knee and surrender to you, Jesus Christ. May they see you in us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.